0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the
1: social media site of your
0: choice. The U.S. debt is currently at 16 trillion, and our debt service is at 450 billion, and that's at record low interest rates. That number could go to over a trillion per year. If interest rates were to just go back to historical norms, now that money doesn't help the government, it doesn't help the citizens, that's just debt service. Joining us today is Murray Holland, attorney and former CEO and author of the new book, The Debt Trap. What are our options for getting out of debt? Today we'll discuss the history of the debt in the U.S., why it has increased so dramatically, and what we're going to do about it. Welcome, Murray. Thank you, guys. Hey, you know, that has been on the news a lot, especially this past election, about the financial troubles that we're into today as a country. How do we get into the financial trouble we're in? I know it's not just the government financial problems, but a lot of consumer debt has been a real problem, too. We see all the mortgage foreclosures and things like that. How do we get there?
2: Well, the consumer debt's actually been declining here in the last year. The real problem to us here in America is the government debt. And this has been a long-term problem starting back in the 30s at the creation of Social Security and the various social programs. And while each of these programs has good intentions, financially they were not engineered for the long term. What we've run into in the last 10 years is an exponential growth in the expenditures in these programs, and particularly the medical programs. For instance, when Medicare was designed in the 60s, they anticipated by 1990 it would cost us about ten billion dollars a year. That number turned out to be closer to a hundred billion dollars a year by nineteen ninety. And today of course the medical programs are costing as close to eight hundred billion a year. And so the growth in expenditures for these programs is the central cause of our financial problems. And borrowed money over the last twenty years, even during peacetimes, has created a national debt that is now consuming an enormous part of our revenue
1: that the federal government receives.
2: Consequently, we have a lot less money to spend on all programs, including social programs, by the federal government.
1: Well, and if we have less, but let's talk about those programs because I'm just reading here from the Heritage Foundation. When John Kennedy was president, about 25% of federal spending went to various entitlement programs that covered 21 million Americans, including Social Security, which... Today, it's 62% of the federal budget goes to entitlements excluding Social Security and covering 67 million recipients, which is about 20% of the population. That is growth, no question, in entitlements. So I can't fathom the continued growth and momentum of that, how it's sustainable.
2: Well, it's certainly not sustainable. And the reason it's not sustainable, as we've seen in the various European countries in the last two or three years, is that the market downgrades the government debt. And consequently, the interest rates rise. And that gets to a point where the markets actually close the country from borrowing any more money. And that obviously turns it into a default. And that's the exact path that we're on. We're right in the thick of it with these European countries in trouble. We have the same debt to GDP ratios, and we have a very high deficit. So we are borrowing money at a very high pace. And as we've seen from our recent downgrades by S&P and the comments by Moody's, that if we don't get hold of our deficit spending quickly, they're going to downgrade us.
0: Say, can you explain the economics of the growth of this government and how the deficit spending has not really helped at all? I mean, it seems like we're just in this vicious spiral. How does that all work?
2: Well, certainly the liberals are using the concept of Keynesian economics to justify government spending, but that has never worked. I think Keynesian economics has been resoundingly criticized, and rightly so. We now have so much economic data, since particularly the Great Depression, here in the United States and through the OECD, Organization of Economic and Cooperative Development, around the world, we know that government spending does not help. And the reason it doesn't help is because for the government to spend a dollar they have to take a dollar from somebody. And that means there's zero economic growth. There's zero GDP growth from it. And the concept of a multiplier turns out to be less than one-to-one. So when the government invests a dollar in the GDP, it doesn't increase the GDP by a dollar because it's not creating anything. It's not creating any value. It's actually a money-losing proposition because of the inefficiencies in government. And the economist's differ on what the actual multiple is, but I think most economists center on about one half to one. So if the government spends a dollar, it's really only helping the economy about a half a dollar. And if this concept actually had worked where the government can spend money, the wealthiest countries in the world would be Cuba, North Korea, China. China's growing because of capitalism, not because of government spending, the old Soviet Union and such. But all these countries have failed and are total economic failures because there is no multiplier using the Keynesian thought process.
1: Well, i got to believe what's the factor also? If a dollar is collected and the value is really half of that, what about the cost of even collecting the dollar?
2: The government's so inefficient. By the way, all these social programs in my book, Debt Trap, I've outlined are really nothing. The government's not adding any value. The government's acting as a cash collection and redistribution mechanism. They keep a big percentage of it in their own pockets because of managing this redistribution. Consequently, that by itself is hurting the economy. Clearly, as we've seen in the last 4 years, no benefit from all this massive deficit spending. Just as we saw no benefit from the deficit spending during the Great Depression, the entire decade of the 30s, we were deficit spending at a range of 4 to 5% a year, and we saw no economic growth. And that was clearly attributable to the fact that the Federal Reserve was decreasing money supply, keeping interest rates very high, and there was no money supply available. Today, we're not doing that. We've learned that lesson. But it's clear from all economic data around the world that government spending does not help GDP growth. As a matter of fact, the deficit spending hurts us two ways. One, it takes money out of the GDP to go spend it. And secondly, they're borrowing trillions of dollars out of the capital markets that are now not available to businesses. So they're choking off capital markets money that would be out here ready to be invested in businesses that is not there anymore.
0: Well, you know, a lot of people, especially having just finished this election season, are looking at as a Republican or Democrat issue. I've been telling clients, I said, it's not about the politicians, it's about the math. And one of the things we've seen is this quant of easing with printing more money and making more money supply, has the Federal Reserve been a positive or negative in our economy? And then how does that affect the world's economy?
2: Well, I think the Federal Reserve is the only reason that we even have any growth today. QE1, in my view, was a critical factor in saving our financial institutions and really our currency from collapse. When the housing market bust and the value of housing dropped so much, these financial institutions that held this paper would essentially be bankrupt had there not been QE1, where they actually bought this bad paper from them, the government did, Federal Reserve. And that, I think, was necessary to keep our financial institutions from collapsing, which is the mechanism of maintaining currency values. So QE1 was good. QE2, I was totally opposed to. QE2 was like trying to shock the economy back into life. The economy doesn't work with a shock treatment. It needs a long-term policy and plan in place so businessmen and investors can know what the future looks like in order to make good business bets and in investing money. And QE2 did not provide that. QE2 was just simply a one-time shot of adrenaline trying to get the economy going. QE3 that they've just instituted here in September... I think is more along the lines of what we needed, which is a policy statement, that they're going to continue to buy treasuries so long as the unemployment rate stays as high and they want to get it down to target range of about 6%. Then they'll stop buying treasuries. And so that's more of a policy feature that I think the economy needs to hear to get investors to start investing again.
1: Actually, let's transition to the market. So we certainly heard a lot about confidence in the market. Clearly, a lot of people have been sitting on cash and just kind of waiting to see, okay, I need to see a sign of something. So what happens when our markets lose their confidence and the federal government can't fix them? Confidence
2: is a key factor now. We measure it in many ways, and that's exactly what happened in Europe. Greece is probably the most notorious example. They lost market confidence in 2009, and that's when the market started pricing up their sovereign debt. We watched their interest rates go from 4 and 5% up to 50% before the managed default occurred. The confidence is going to be the problem here in the United States. The market will lose confidence if we cannot rein in this deficit. And that's what faces Congress and the administration here in the next few months, is what are they going to do about the deficit? If it's not addressed in a long-term sustainable method, market will lose confidence in the United States, just like they have in many, many countries. Greece is just a good example, but countries like Portugal, Ireland, Iceland, Cyprus, Spain, Italy, these countries are in financial trouble. We are likewise in financial trouble.
1: Marie, I want to actually focus on that a little bit more, but we got to take a short break, so please stay tuned.
3: This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security. And investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, PO Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. The purpose of this message
0: is to stop your heart. For just a few seconds. If you weren't here, what would happen to your family? Would there be enough money for them to have the kind of life you want them to? People with life insurance know the answer. Life insurance isn't for the people who die. It's for the people who live.
2: A reminder from the Life and Health Insurance Foundation for Education, a nonprofit organization.
1: Welcome back as we continue our conversation today with Marie Holland, who's an attorney, former CEO, plus the author of the book, The Debt Trap, What Are Our Options for Getting Out of Debt? We were just talking about the impact of, really, the markets in other countries and what we can learn from that. So let's kind of dig down in that just a touch deeper. What have we learned from the European situations and problems that we're heading towards?
2: Well, we have learned that the problem starts when the rating agencies start downgrading your debt from AAA. Most of these countries had AAA debt, and the first sign of the lack of confidence is when the rating agencies start lowering credit ratings like they've done here in the United States. Standard & Poor's has already downgraded the United States, and Moody's has indicated that they're getting ready to downgrade and are going to wait to see what happens here over the next few months on what kind of work we do at reducing our deficit. That's the start of it. So we can forecast. The markets are very strong. They don't care how we cut our deficit. They just want to know that they're going to be able to get their money back and have low risk. That is what they will be looking for. If we do not address this problem here in the United States here very shortly, we'll start seeing downgrades, and then this leads to higher interest rates, which means we have to spend more money on interest rates, which means we have less for government programs, which means we have to borrow more to maintain the government programs. And this starts us, this is the debt trap that I'm talking about in my book. This starts us in this spiral into the trap that we cannot get out of. We're in the trap. We're in the mouth of the trap. And if we don't address these deficit problems immediately, we will spiral into the trap and be caught just like these other countries have been.
0: Is there some solutions? I mean, so far we're talking, and I'll tell you what, there's not been a lot of positive in today's discussion so far, but surely there's a silver lining there and there's some things that we can do to maybe right that ship.
2: Well, as depressing as the subject is, which it is, there are only five ways out of the debt trap. Hundreds and hundreds of countries have actually defaulted on sovereign debt over the centuries. There have been many, many, many smart people trying to figure out ways to get out of it. And so there are only five ways to get out, and they include growing the country's GDP, so growing the economy at a fast clip to shrink the relative size of the debt. So if you can keep the debt steady and then grow the economy, the amount of debt shrinks as a percent and you can get back into a safe zone, which I consider to be around 25 to 30% debt to GDP. The number one way of getting out of the debt problem is to default and repudiate the debt, and that's the way most countries deal with it. When their interest rates move so high, they get to the point where they don't want to take money from social programs primarily and pay interest on the debt because they'd have to shrink their social programs, so they take the road of defaulting and repudiating the debt. And that, of course, comes in many forms also. The third way out of it is to actually print money to pay for it. So to pay your interest and pay principal, governments have just printed money. And of course, all that does is turn an economic crisis into a currency crisis, because then you ruin your currency, and that has bad negative effects on your economy. The fourth way out is to raise taxes or cut spending to balance the budget and just run at a balanced budget because you can't borrow any more money. And then the last way out, the fifth way out, is what we've seen here in Europe in the last couple of years, and that is bailouts. But we are too big to have anybody bail us out. There's no big 900-pound gorilla that can help the United States. So that option is off the table. And outside those options, there are no other options.
1: If we default, then what happens to the global economy? Because I still think the U.S. drives the globe.
2: It does. The problem
1: with the default isn't necessarily the default
2: itself. It's what happens. When a country defaults, obviously, the market isn't going to lend them any more money. And so if they've been deficit spending, they have to balance their budget. So they've either got to balance it with taxes, which hurts their economy tremendously, or cutting expenditures, which hurts their economy. In either case, it will take whatever the deficit is out of the economy. For instance, this last year, we spent 7% of GDP was deficit spending. If the market actually stopped loaning to us or we defaulted, we would have to take 7% of the economy out of the economy. So we would go instantly into a severe recession. And in my view, more than likely, that would spiral into a depression. And we will be forced to do that in any event when the market starts raising the interest rates to the point where we are looking at a significant part of our budget, federal budget to pay interest, that's the point when we decide we can't do that anymore and look for a way out.
1: This might seem like a really almost a bummer question, but what amount of debt is actually acceptable in the U.S.?
2: Well, I think the issue is that debt, including World War II debt, has never been repaid. Over the last 80 years, we've run 69 years of deficits and only 13 years of surpluses. So the debt stays on the books forever, and that means interest is paid every year forever. For instance, our $16 trillion of debt today, luckily we are in such a low interest rate environment, we're only at a, about a 2 to 2.3% blended rate for federal debt today. And on debt to the public, we're only paying $360 billion a year. That's about $11.5 trillion we owe to the public, and the $5 trillion or so that we owe to government agencies, that interest rate is not calculated because it's uh, eliminated in the consolidation of the federal government returns. But... When we take a look at the future, the average interest rate over the last forty years has been about six percent on government treasuries. So if you do six percent of sixteen trillion dollars, that will take us right up to about one trillion dollars a year in interest expense. This last year the government received only about two point four trillion, a little over that, in tax receipts. And so if either the economy returns to normal economic growth or the markets risk our treasuries, at a higher interest rate, and we get back to normal interest rates, we're going to be spending about $1 trillion a year on the debt that's already borrowed. That's assuming we don't borrow anymore. And that's a scary proposition because we will only have $1.4 trillion if we don't grow our tax receipts. We would only have $1.4 trillion left to run the entire government. And right now we're spending just under $3.5 trillion. So we would have the nature of the interest expense is going to decimate the ability of the government to provide all its services it provides now. And that's the trap that we have walked into. And we're in it, and it just had not closed yet because the markets haven't reacted to the credit risk.
0: So in your view, what do you recommend people do about this? I mean, it seems like we just had an opportunity in the election to speak up. I don't know if having a split between Republicans and Democrats in control is going to help us or hurt us. What do you recommend the average citizen does today?
2: My view is that when these interest rates start rising, we will get to a position in the United States to have to start printing money, which means hurting our currency and interest rate rises. So I think the average citizen should do some protective mechanisms, such as if they have a mortgage, turn it to a long-term fixed rate mortgage at a low interest rate. If they have U.S. investments, I think it'd be better to turn them into investments in other currency. There are a lot of stable currencies around the world and a lot of stable governments, far more stable than the United States. As a matter of fact, I agree with Steve Wynn that the government of China is more investor-friendly than the government of the United States. And so there are plenty of investment opportunities around the world. And I'm afraid that even had we had a conservative Senate and administration, that we've gone too far in our debt cycle to actually be able to dig out of it.
1: Well, Murray, we appreciate your perspective. And obviously, it's tough words to swallow because it's essential... If we all ran our personal checkbook this way, we'd be cooked. Right. (laughs) You just can't do it.
2: And the interest rate environment is the only thing that has saved us from being into
1: the debt trap today. Right. Yep. And that's not going to stick much longer. No, it's not. So
0: the thing is, everybody should be keeping in close contact with their financial advisor. I think it's more important than ever because you talked about one of the solutions is increasing taxes. And I know the current administration has talked about doing that. I know they talk about just taxing the rich, but anytime I hear a politician say taxing the rich, I think they're saying tax anybody who's got something. So I really think you need to really pay close attention and be proactive instead of reactionary. Too many people just wait and say, what do I owe on taxes? But I think this is an opportunity to sit down with your financial advisor, with your tax professional, and really look at what the impact of the tax rules are going to be going forward, what new tax rules might come up, and you got to do as much as you can to protect what you have. So it's really important
1: now more than ever that you sit down and do a review. There's no doubt. Thanks for joining us, Murray. We certainly hope to visit again, and hopefully the next time things are better.
2: I hope so too. And you can order the book through Amazon and those typical book retailers.
1: It's called, again, The Debt Trap. What are options for getting out of debt? When did you come out with that?
2: just right now was
1: just a recent release excellent well thanks for your contribution to education alright thank you guys
0: thanks for joining us this week and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process and remember if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about contact your real wealth advisor also if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member just click the forward to a
3: friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your real wealth advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer securities and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, PO Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast
0: from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful week.